Lord, as we look at your word, I pray that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear. And Lord, we acknowledge that we need your Holy Spirit to enable us to do that. We thank you, Lord, for the indwelling of your spirit. I pray, Lord, that we would walk in you and hear your word. I pray, Lord, you'd open up our eyes to see these truths. Help us to see the glory of your Son, even as we look at the Old Testament. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you got your Bible this morning, 1 Kings chapter 22. 1 Kings chapter 22. And I've entitled this message this morning, Discerning Our Heart's Response to God. Discerning Our Heart's Response to God. To God. And as I mentioned earlier, my prayer today is that as we look at 1 Kings 22, that we'd have wisdom to connect the dots to our life and we would see the relevancy even as we think about a new year. I know that New Year's resolutions are overdone. I know we often pile upon people who make New Year's resolutions. But I think there's, by God's grace, a healthiness to reflect. Uh, the healthiness of new seasons, and the thankfulness for fresh starts. And I pray today as we come into this fresh start to a new year, we would learn from what we read in 1 Kings chapter 22. A couple of things I want to remind you. As we go through 1 Kings, the passage that I pray would be in the back of our mind. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May we learn from what we're reading and learning out of 1 Kings and not regard this as just a history lesson. A history lesson where I remember uh, after I was in college, when I was in a Bible major, I was having to learn the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. And that's a long list of each group of kings. And I didn't really gain much from that. I learned a lot of facts, and I have a hard time remembering even what I learned then. I was a great memorizer. I knew it for about eight hours, and then it was gone. But you know what? I pray that this is not what's happening as we go through 1 Kings and as we begin to go through 2 Kings. But I pray, we say, God, would you teach me and help me to learn from this? Help me to see how you want to use this in my life because Paul refers in that very sense to what this is about. So 1 Kings is teaching us. And as we move into chapter 22, I want to remind you of the unholy alliance that Ahab entered into with Ben-Hadad. And, and we look at 1 Kings 20, 34. And Ben, it's actually Hadad, Ben-Hadad said to him, the cities that my father took from your father, I will restore, and you may establish bazaars for yourself in Damascus, as my father did in Samaria. And Ahab said, I will let you go on these terms. So he made a covenant with him and let him go. And what do we learn about that agreement? In chapter 20, verse 34, we learned that God was not pleased 
And in chapter 20, verse 42, and he said to him, thus says the Lord, because you have let go out of your hand the man whom I had devoted to destruction. Therefore, your life shall be for his life and your people for his people. And even though we see God announce repentance in the life of Ahab, we see, sadly, it was short-lived. We see a man revert back to many of his wicked ways in chapter 22. And we move into chapter 22, and as I've been doing for several weeks now, it helps me to grab handles on narrative that's historical. We're going to look at some movement through the scenes that we see develop. The first scene, Ahab and the false prophets. Ahab and the false prophets. We're going to go through five scenes, hopefully quickly. We're going to stop, try to draw application as we move through them. We're going to stop at the end and look back over. And at the very end today, we're going to ask three main application questions. But we've got to develop the narrative as what's happening here. Ahab and the false prophets. We, we, we come into chapter 22, and we read in verse 1, For three years, Syria and Israel continued without war. But in the third year, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. Um, the, the Jews typically, Aliyah. The Aliyah is the going up to Jerusalem. When you're coming into Jerusalem, um, you're going on Aliyah, like they were going up to the temple. So it's, it, even though we see Judah to the south of Israel, you could use this terminology that the one coming from Judah was going down even though he was going north, going down up to Samaria. Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. It's, it's interesting um, when we get into verse 3, and the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us, and we keep quiet, and do not take it out of the hand of the king of Syria? Um, I don't know if you can see this. If you can't, join the party, because I can't see anything. Ramoth Gilead is up. It's east of the Jordan. You see the water on the map. Ramoth Gilead was an area. And when do we just read? What we read in chapter 20, verse 34, isn't it interesting that old Ben-Hadad, a man of his word, not really, what did he say? He said, look, if you will work with me, I will work with you. And I will give you back the cities that are yours. Well, did he keep his word? No, he didn't keep his word. Three years of peace, and now Ahab and Jehoshaphat, and we'll see in a moment, I love the honesty of the word of God. We'll see in the moment, Jehoshaphat is one of the godly kings of Israel, of, uh, of Judah. There's no godly kings mentioned in the history of, of the kings of Israel. But Jehoshaphat is one of the eight. He, his, his daddy, uh, he followed after Asa. And, and, and what we find is, is that Jehoshaphat, although godly, he makes some dumb decisions. And you know what? Isn't that an honest view of life? I, I, I cringe thinking of anyone in here that would think, wait a minute, 
How can this man be godly, yet we see things that he did that were not the right thing? Well, let me ask you about your life. Are we walking in the Spirit daily, 24-7? And it's not an excuse for fleshly living, but I'll tell you, the, the older I get, the more I learn. If anything good comes from my life, it's by the grace of God. And, and we see these are complicated people, and we see that story in our own lives. And, and we see marks by the grace of God that point to growth, but we also see things in our life that, that are unpleasing to God. We see choices that we make. We see pursuits that we go after. We see decisions, and, and, and it's honest. It's an honest approach. So even though the Scripture is going to paint Jehoshaphat in a very good way, and we're going to read in a second verses 41 down to verse 50, of this chapter that focus more, just to focus on his life, we see that he's in this alliance with Ahab, an alliance that ultimately was not a good alliance. This was not wise. We're going to see some godly traits even through it. So we see that he is in this alliance with Ahab, verse 4. And he said to Jehoshaphat, will you go with me to battle at Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Almost makes you think about what Ruth says to Naomi. But this isn't one of those you want to quote because uh, Jehoshaphat, you don't really want to be lining up with Ahab like that. That would be my take on it. Uh, you, you know, so here we go. Uh, they're going to align, though, and I think Jehoshaphat, and, and just speculation, would be thinking about that land is Israel's land, and, and we can work together to go after something that is, is rightfully what God has given. I don't know what's going through his mind, but they do make a, a, a pact. In verse 5, we see this, the traits of Jehoshaphat that really show, I think, his character, his godliness, the grace of God working in him. He, he wants to inquire of the Lord. He says in verse 5, And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Inquire first for the word of the Lord. So even though we, we, we wonder, okay, why are you doing this with Ahab? We see conduct here in verse 5 that depicts somebody that loves the Lord. So maybe my statements are too harsh on him. We, we can see the, in 2020 looking back, we can see the danger here. But we see a man, even though he's flawed, we see a man that the grace of God is working in. Verse 6, then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, shall I go to battle against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? And they said, go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. You remember back in Jeremiah, the prophet spoke about those that were basically just false prophets that would tell the people whatever they wanted to hear. And they weren't people of God. And, and what we're going to learn in this section is that the way that a person should be judged that is a person, and, and we would look at it today, I, I told you my views on the prophets and their role today. The church is built on the foundations of the prophets and the apostles, and I believe that the usage of the prophets in the Old Testament had a very uh, specific purpose in redemptive history, along with the New Testament prophets, and I believe they've, they've played that, 
that, that role, they've laid that foundation. But now I think the question could be this, how should we evaluate people that, you know, you often hear people say, people of the cloth. That's what a lot of people say that, you know, that are not familiar with the church and they hear that I'm in the uh, ministry and a lot of times you'll get offhanded uh, derogatory comments of people saying things that you can't really prove are derogatory, but you think they are. <laughs> and, oh, you're a person of the cloth. Now look at me. How should we evaluate people of the cloth? How should we evaluate people in ministry? We should evaluate people in ministry based on whether or not they speak the word of the Lord. And the way we evaluate that today is based on the declared, revealed word of the Lord. Are they teaching the word of God? Because what we find here, there's 400 people that are not walking in line with God, and they give bad advice. And these 400 people are telling Ahab, Jehoshaphat's like, we got to inquire of the word of the Lord. And Ahab's like, look, there's 400 of them that are telling us that God wants us to go take Ramoth Gilead. Remember, this reminds you of back in 1819, now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. But we learned about the, the outcome for this group. They were judged. They were killed at the foot of Mount Carmel. People speculate, who are these people? We don't know for sure, but we know the danger here. And one of the things that we begin to learn is that we have a fleshly tendency to want to use God's word to support what our own desires are. We, can you relate to that? It's easy to throw a stone at it, but listen to this. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They will have itching ears, and therefore they bring teachers in their life that basically satisfy what they want to hear. Is it any, and I'm not trying to, I've probably been guilty of going too far sometimes with the prosperity gospel. I feel like it is an abominable heresy, if you were wondering what I thought about it. But I, I sometimes, I bring it up sometimes in a sarcastic spirit, and that's not right. I should say it truthfully, but not be seeking to go after it in a way that's not honorable to God. But I will say this. Why do you think the prosperity gospel is popular? Because people want to hear what suits their flesh. Does it sound offensive to you to go to someone who says that God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and I mean, that sounds pretty good to most people. Sign me up. I'll go for health and wealth. And so one of the things that you got to remember is, is that regardless of what the teaching is, you know, if it's prosperity gospel, it, I remember my father one time said something to me that I've never forgotten. I would call him up and all the time, and I'd say, Dad, I, I got this situation. And, and, and I, you know, it's amazing how the older you get, you you learn the wisdom that you had at your disposal. And then it's gone, and, and you're thinking, man, I, I didn't realize what I had. And I would call him up. And I remember one time I, I was counseling somebody, and it was a marriage counseling situation. And the people didn't like what I wanted to hear, what, what I said. 
And dad said, Stephen, uh, you know, the sad reality is this. They're going to go and they're going to find another preacher who will tell them exactly what they want to hear. And if it's not you or it's not the next guy, they'll keep moving down the line and somebody will tell them what they want to hear and they'll go with it. That's the danger, isn't it? The danger, as we'll see later, is are we willing to submit our desires to the Word of God or are we going to seek to find the Word to support our desires? Big difference. And, and here we, we see this danger. There's all these false people that are actually not prophets of Baal. They're actually prophets of the God of Israel. Different terminology used here, but different than what we read back earlier. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, even as we look at this, like, am I guilty of the same approach? Because that's what seems to be happening. In verse 6, the king of Israel gathered the prophets together. And what it is, again, you know, go up for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. Jehoshaphat says in verse 7, is there not here another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire? I love this. It, he, he had discernment. Something was off. 400 people all saying the same thing. And Jehoshaphat wants to see if there's another individual. Uh, let's look a little bit more about Jehoshaphat. As we, at the end of the book, in, in chapter 22, verse 41, jump over there real quick. Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, began to reign over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. He was 35 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shilhai. He walked in all the way of Asa, his father. That, that's, a, that's a wonderful statement. He did not turn aside from it doing what was right in the sight of the Lord, yet the high places were not taken away, and the people still sacrificed and made offerings on the high places. Jehoshaphat also made peace with the king of Israel. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat and his might that he showed and how he warned, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles, the kings of Judah? And you read on in verse 46, 47, 48, 49 of some more details, verse 50 of his, of his death. And, and so you see, looking back here, a man who exemplified godly characteristics. And, and again, we see this here in his desire to consult with yet another prophet. You see, he senses a desire to make sure that they do what God wants. In verse 8, and the king of Israel again asked, there is yet, or he says to Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man by whom we, we may inquire of the Lord. Micaiah I can't say his name right. I listened to someone pronounce it, and it really messed me up to hear it sound, pronounced correctly. So I should have just gone with Southern English here. But the son of Imla, and then notice Ahab. He says, I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. I love that. I get the sense here that Jehoshaphat is like, wait a minute, you know, be careful how you speak there. And in verse 9, then the king of Israel summoned an offer and said, Bring quickly Micaiah, the son of Imla. Verse 10, now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones, arrayed in their robes at the threshing floor, at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. One of the things that's fascinating, if you go into Israel and you do the archaeological tours and stuff, is that like at Dan, up in the north, 
you've got this, this amazing archaeology site, and they'll show you how different the gates were and how much activity took place at the gates. The gates were a major part of the city structure. And here, they're at the gates of Samaria, religious activity going on. And what, what's amazing here is that look at what's happening. They're at the gates, at the threshing floor, at the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets were prophesying before them. And Zedekiah, the son of Chaniah, made for himself horns of iron and said, Thus says the Lord, with these you shall push the Syrians until they are destroyed. Wow. I mean, it's like he is doing a visual display of the prophecy and there's excitement, there's energy. Verse 12, and all the prophets prophesied so and said, go up to Ramoth, Gilead, and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. What a scene. Well, we get into scene two. And, and here we see Micaiah the prophesies against Ahab. Now, what, what's phenomenal here is that there's a messenger in verse 13. And when he goes to get this man, he says, behold, the words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. It's like he's coming to get him and he's like, look, FYI, things are going really good up there. Just, just go with the company line. Everything's great. They're excited. There's a lot of stuff happening at the gates. This is what you need to do. Don't mess up the party, so to speak. And what happens, he says in verse 14, as the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. And when he had come to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall we refrain? And he answered him, go up and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. Now what's happening here? People debate and there's no way to prove it. I'll tell you what I suspect is happening. What I suspect is happening is that he is almost saying this in a sarcastic tone. And because it appears, I can't prove it, it appears, this is something that is not in the text, it appears that there's something that's happened before. Because look at verse 16, but the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. In verse 18, Ahab is hot. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? And he goes on, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said one thing and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, by what means? And he said, I will go out and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, you are to entice him and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now, therefore, behold, here it is. He's giving him what's happening. The Lord has put 
a lying spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster for you. This is a fascinating section of scripture. Would you agree? I mean, one, you get similarities to the Isaiah 6 throne room of what his vision is. And then I found this helpful in one commentary note on this. It said, the imagery is that of a council of war with the heavenly king sitting on his throne, surrounded by his army, making plans to defeat Ahab in battle. And when it speaks about the lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets, the commentator says, though God himself does not do evil, he sometimes uses evil agents to accomplish his purposes. I think one thing, even in our confusion we may have about this text, is that we can walk away with the mystery of the wisdom and the power of God. No one shall mock him, and no one shall defeat him. His purposes come to fruition. And and, and that's exactly what happens. What's amazing is God shows mercy even though there's going to be a trap that's sovereignly planned in order to fulfill the wisdom of God. God informs Ahab of the trap. Isn't that interesting? He tells him what's happening. Zedekiah doesn't take too well with these words. Verse 24, then Zedekiah, the son of Chenina, came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek. He punches him, it looks like, boom, and said, how did the spirit of the Lord go from me to speak to you? And Micaiah said, behold, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide yourself. And the king of Israel said, seize Micaiah and take him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, thus says the king, put this fellow in prison and feed him meager rations of bread and water until I come in peace. And Micaiah said, if you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, hear all you peoples. Wow, tough, tough job for the prophet. He's faithful, and he goes to prison. Are you willing to stand up for the truth, regardless of the cost? Are you, do we change our version of the truth, or are we silenced when it's going to cost us dearly? I think those are words we all need to take warning of. Here's a man that it cost him dearly to be faithful, yet he suffers for righteousness. He's persecuted. Are we willing to stand for the truth? There's so many people today that profess the name of Christ, but when it comes to their secular life, they zip it up. You know why? I don't need that in my professional career. I don't need people at the school to think I'm crazy for Jesus. I'm okay with them knowing I'm an FCA, but I don't want to meddle in their personal life. You get my point? It's like sometimes we got to be careful because, you know, we can attach ourselves to the very forms of Christianity we're comfortable with, but the moment it costs us, we're all tempted to do what? 
step back over here, play the other side. It takes one to know one. I've been there just like the next person. We've all been tempted to do that. But here's an example of a man who stands for the truth. Scene three, Ahab killed in battle. Wow, it's all coming to fruition. God is not mocked. The word of the Lord is sure. One of the greatest ways we can approach 2023 is a humble recognition that we can yield our lives to the promises and the word of God because God is not mocked. His promises are sure. His word will be fulfilled. And if we're learning anything in the book of 1 Kings, how many times the word of the Lord has been mentioned and every time the word of the Lord declares the word of the Lord is what? Fulfilled. The same is going to be true of every promise yet unfulfilled in the Bible. God will be true to his word. God will keep his promises. And so now, verse 29, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, they went up to Ramoth-Gilead, and the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. God just revealed to you, Ahab, Ahab. It's almost like at this point, we've been going so long in this story We forget what he has been exposed to that has already revealed to him the power of God. And yet he thinks he's going to disguise himself. When we're deceived in our own hearts and deceived by our own sin, we minimize the holiness and the power of God. We're blinded. We begin to act as if we have a better way, and we begin to act in such a defiant way of God. We presume in such a way that God is not aware, that God does not see, that the Lord does not understand what we're up to, and he disguises himself. I will disguise myself. Go into battle. You wear your robes. I'd be thinking if I was Jehoshaphat, what? (laughs) You want me to die? What are you doing? And what does he say? And the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Verse 31, the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of his chariots. Here's what he told them. Fight with neither small nor great, but only with the king of Israel. And when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, now the plan seems to be working, Ahab's plan. They see, and they say, it is surely the king of Israel. So they turned to fight against him. And Jehoshaphat fat cried out. I don't know what he said, but whatever he said, they became aware that it wasn't Ahab. Verse 33, and when the captains of the chariot saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. But notice the wisdom and the power and the fulfillment of God's word. I pray you would see this. It's not by chance. It's not by accident. God rules over this world. Verse 34, but a certain man doesn't even name his name. He's a guy not even mentioned. He's just a guy out there. A certain man drew his bow at random, at random, and struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. Therefore, he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and carry me out of the battle, for I am wounded. God is not mocked, Ahab. God is not mocked. And friend, today, as we look at the text here, God is not mocked in our lives either. 
God's word is clear, and we keep going here. What we find in this, and the battle continued that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians until evening he died. And what hard, hard words of fulfillment and the reality of the judgment of God and the blood of the wound flowed into the bottom of the chariot, and about sunset a cry went throughout the army. And now remember the fulfillment of what he said earlier. What did he say? He said everyone's going to go back to their home, their city, every man to his city, and every man to his country. God's word is fulfilled. Verse 37, the king died, was brought to Samaria. They buried the king in Samaria. Now notice verse 38, fulfillment of what has already been said. And they washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria, and the dogs looked up his blood, and the prostitutes washed themselves in it according to the word of the Lord that he had spoken. Now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did and the ivory house that he built and all the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the king of Israel? So Ahab slept with his fathers and Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his place. I tell you, what what grabs me when I look at this is Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. And so just to give you an idea of the rest of the narrative, we've already looked at this one. Jehoshaphat reigns in Judah, verses 41 to 50. And we're gonna, I'm going to mention it in a moment. But the final three verses are the sad depiction of Ahaziah, the son of Ahab. And guess what he did? He walked in the ways of his daddy. He didn't learn anything from his dad. This morning, three application questions I want to leave you with. Application question one. As we go into 2022, it's a question not only of will we, are we, however you want to apply it, will we submit our desires to Scripture or will we allow our desires to override God's word? Will we submit our desires to Scripture? Or will we allow our desires to override, usurp God's word? I want to ask you a question. As we look at our life and as we consider our hearts, are we looking to the word for guidance? Are we seeking the wisdom of God in our life? Are we living with the disposition of, oh, Lord, would you show me in your word how we ought to live? There's a sense of that when you look at Jehoshaphat back in the first seven verses where he said, we we must inquire of the Lord, but we can learn from this. Ahab wasn't a man that inquired of the Lord. If the Lord's wisdom was declared, he sought to go the other way or find other people that would support his own desires that were contrary to the word of God. But, But the question that, I want you to think about, and I pray that I would reflect on in my own heart, and I've been seeking to do so, it's the question of, are we living, following Christ, holding our hands like this in an attitude of God, direct my steps and reveal to me how you want me to live? I tell you, it's not the issue of of, of trying to pick out certain sins to go after, but it's right in our face. It's right in our face, and it's so sad because so many people right now with this sexual revolution in our midst, 
their desires are not submitted to Scripture, they take whatever their desire is and they then allow it to have authority over Scripture. How are we going to live? If we don't understand the principle of the sufficiency and the authority of God's Word and how God speaks through His Word, we're going to live in disobedience to how God calls us to live. And just recently, I, I got a question for you, and I want you to think about it. And how is God's word working in you? If you were sitting down with coffee right now with your best friend, and they looked at you and said, tell me how God's word is leading you to repent in your life recently. Would you look at them like a calf in a new gate and be like, what? Or would you look at them and could you say to them, you know what, God is, is revealing these things about my heart. God is showing me my pride. God is showing me the aims of my life at times are way off. God is revealing to me because one of the realities of being a child of God is that the Holy Spirit tenderly, graciously, in a way that bears witness to our spirit through the Holy Spirit that we are the children of God He works and speaks through his word, guiding our life, and he's faithful through his word, not only to instruct us, but to lovingly reprove us. I tell you, a lot of people, when I was a kid, you know, you hear your parents say, this hurts me more than it hurts you, and I was always like, yeah, right. This doesn't hurt you worse than me. It hurts me a lot worse than it hurts you when you're spanking me. But I came to understand as I got older that they really meant it, that the way they were approaching me revealed that I was their son, and they cared for me. So the first question, are we submitting our desires to Scripture, or are we allowing our desires to override God's Word? The second question I want you to think about, will we speak God's truth regardless of consequences, Or will we back down in light of the consequences? This is a big one, isn't it? Had a uh, sad afternoon yesterday. Went to school at Macaulay with a guy named Alan Cooper. Y'all would have loved Alan. Great guy. Got cancer about 21 months ago. It devastated his body. And yesterday we buried Alan. And I officiated his funeral. And, and I had the privilege of actually marrying Alan. Alan had gone through the heartbreak of a spouse that left him and ran off on him. And he fell in love with a young lady that had experienced uh, unfaithfulness by her spouse. And it was like a healing balm for both of them. They came together in 2018. And they got married and their families combined. It was a beautiful picture of God's grace. And, and, and in that whole process, I, I got to marry them. And, and, and at the wedding, I, I got done, and uh, it threw me because I saw a classmate that I had at Macaulay. And he came up to me. And when he came up to me after the wedding, he had some very derogatory remarks about what I'd shared. And he was very, very hard. And, and it threw me because I wasn't expecting that type of response. And and when I walked in yesterday at Brainerd United Methodist Church on Brainerd Road, seeing the love that the community had for Alan, I I walked into that auditorium, and it was packed, 
packed. It was the Methodist style, more the Episcopal style. We got the podium on the far right. And, and I remember thinking to myself, I was like, all right. I, I got up there in that podium after it was a beautiful service that honored the Lord. And, and, and it was just a beautiful, beautiful service. And I got up there and I was, I was standing behind that pulpit. It hit me at one point. I was like, oh boy, there were some in that crowd that were with me, but there were some in that crowd opposed to me. And at that moment, it was as if the Holy Spirit was calling me, look, you be faithful to my word. Speak it boldly, speak it with clarity, speak it with graciousness. And, and, and I could feel the tension. I could feel it. And it was in that moment, I got done. We, we, we went to the graveside. And, 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 and a dear lady that I saw in the crowd while I was talking, it's crazy how the Lord works. I spotted her in the back, and we caught eyes, and I knew she was supporting me. <laughs> I knew she was with me. And she came up with tears in her eyes, and she said, look, she said, speak the truth. She says, keep speaking the truth. She goes, the truth, it, 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 it's powerful. Speak the truth. But, but as I was talking to her, I can relate in my own life how many times that I feel like I've backed down speaking the truth. Maybe in one-on-one -on -one situations. Maybe on situations where I'm on a plane with somebody that is next to me and I sense the Holy Spirit leading me to share the gospel with them and, and I find myself feeling nervous about what they might think about me. You ever been there? Maybe it's the way you think about your neighbors Maybe it's all these things, but the question comes up, and we can learn from this dear brother who will be in heaven one day, Micaiah, whatever his name is. I can't say it. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. But, but this man is a man who spoke the truth and was willing to take the consequences. I, I, I came across something, and this blessed me. Blessed me like crazy. One was wise enough to draw some connections he said, you know, it's interesting. He reminds us of Jesus in, a, in, in this sense. Jesus was opposed by false prophets. Jesus was accused by, he was accused to be a false prophet. Jesus was uh, slapped on the face. Jesus was willing to suffer for the truth. And it hit me. I was thinking, aren't you comforted today that while this prophet was just a man, the Lord Jesus Christ is our great high priest and he identifies with us. He's been there. Isn't it comforting to know that the very ways in which we can be rejected by people, the way we can face opposition from the world, the way we can be looked at as crazy, as nuts to proclaim the truth of the gospel, we can be comforted that the Lord Jesus Christ is a faithful high priest and he partook of flesh and blood and relates to us. And uh, he understands. And he can empower us to be faithful to the truth. So, so friends, today... Are we willing to stand for the truth? What does that look like, high school student? What does that look like for you? What does that look like for you and your classmates? There's a lot of your classmates that don't know Jesus. They may have parents that are Christians, but they've never come to know Christ. Are you willing in the midst of life as they work out in confidence with you, sharing with you their dreams and their vision, you know, what they long for their life? Are you willing to share with them the truth of God's word, even if it costs you? And even if it sacrifices your popularity on your team, on your cheerleading squad, on your dance line, in your band, these are the questions I pray we would see. Discipleship is to affect all people within the church in real life. 
And so one thing today, it's not just prophets and it's not just ministers at funerals. It's all of us that have to answer the question, are we willing to stand up for the truth? Are we willing to proclaim it? Because I've got news for you. We'll have common ground. We will all be able to come together and share the opposition that we receive, but we can do it in a way that honors God and we can be joyful that we were counted as the opportunity to suffer for the name third question this morning, and then we're done. You may think we're going to take this sermon into 2024. Third question, will we humbly learn and reflect on these kings or in arrogance and indifference disregard these realities? Man, it was humbling yesterday. We were driving out of uh, Brainerd United Methodist. We headed towards the tunnels, and, and, and this was a, I, I came to Macaulay as a junior, and, and, but that school was very, like, very proud traditions. I only got to go there because of basketball, and I wasn't around that whole scene from a seventh grader up, but that school is very proud, and, and, and it's very tight, and all of those boys usually start around, you know, right in the mid-school area. And they go all the way through. And so all these Macaulay guys are in the line going to the cemetery. And we're driving Alan's casket. And we're going through the Macaulay Tunnel. And we're going right by the high school. And I don't know if it hit them, but everyone that was there, I hope it hit them. I hope it hit them the frailty of life. Here we are burying a classmate that just turned 50. And now we're going to the cemetery. And, and I remember walking out of that church, and I didn't know his dad well, and, and Mr. Cooper came up to me, and he had tears in his eyes. And he was brokenhearted. He's burying his son. I pray by the grace of God, as we move into another year, that we would all take time to get on our knees alone before God and say, Oh, God, would you reveal to me my heart? Would you reveal to me my pride? Would you guard me from being deceived? Because we're looking at man after man after man that had gracious encounters with God, and they left indifferent. But through these lessons, I pray that we would say, Oh God, search my heart. Search my heart. Listen to what the psalmist says. Search me, oh God, and know my heart. And it goes on, it's not working. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Charlie read earlier the, the, the call of, uh, of David to Solomon. Be strong, show yourself a man. Keep the charge of the Lord your God. Walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, his testimonies. And here we are. And how are we going to live this way? And friend, today, I, I want to encourage you. We all can relate to the weaknesses of all these people because we deal with our flesh. But I want to encourage you, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I want to encourage you, the grace of the Holy Spirit. And, and notice Paul's writing to a church that they're people like us. They're people that they struggled. They struggled with family life. They struggled with secular life. And what does he say to them? And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. And what does he say at the end of that verse? And all spiritual wisdom 
and understanding. Friend, as we go into the new year, if we will humble ourselves, even with what we don't know, and you know what? We all can grow in learning. We're going to be learning till we die. There's so much I don't know. There's so much that if you knew I didn't know, it may scare you. But it may scare me if I knew what you didn't know. <laughs> I'm just we all, we're all on the same plane, aren't we? But you know what? We can go to the Lord and we can say, God, I, I, I submit myself to you. And I'm going to come before you with what I know and what I don't know. But I'm going to come before you and I'm going to pray that your word would guide my life. And that your spirit would reveal to me how you want me to approach my life. This is like the advice for an 8-year-old, 7-year-old Christian. This is the advice for a 97-year-old Christian. And it's at this point that the Holy Spirit is the one who provides spiritual wisdom and understanding. And if we are going to live in the heart of the godly kings, in the heart of what we're learning through God's Word, we need wisdom. We need understanding. And by God's grace, we can begin that process simply by coming before God with humble hearts and saying, oh, Lord, help me to humbly receive your word. So, friends, some things to chew on. I'll go through them with you, and we're going to pray, and I'm going to let you go. Are we willing to submit our desires to Scripture? What is it today that you need to take to God's word and you need to exercise faith in the Lord Jesus by submitting to what the word reveals to you about your desires and trusting God in it and following him? Number two, will we speak God's truth regardless of consequences? Number three, will we humbly learn and reflect on the lives of these men. Ahaziah is a sad example of an individual who learned nothing from the example of his father. May we go before God with a different heart disposition. Would you bow your head? Lord, I thank you for just the... Uh, I thank you for the body of Christ. I thank you, Lord, that uh, these are my dear brothers and sisters. And, Lord, they are on this journey with me, and I thank you for them, God. I thank you, Lord, that uh, we need each other. I thank you, Lord, how they encourage me. I pray, Lord, I can encourage them. Oh, Lord, I pray in this community of faith that we would, um, we would, spur one another on in righteousness, that we would stir one another up for good works, that, that just in being together, it would be a, an atmosphere and a, a climate of, of asking these kind of questions and of praying for each other and of seeking to encourage one another to go on with the Lord, to go on with you. I pray, Lord, we learn from these kings Lord, thank you for your kindness and giving us revelation that we could even ponder these thoughts. And Lord, we acknowledge, apart from your grace, apart from the power of your Holy Spirit, we have no hope to even adequately discern. But Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your wisdom. We thank you for your understanding. And I pray, Lord, that 
you would grow us not only in wisdom and understanding, but with boldness to declare your truth, even when we face the opposition and the persecutions of the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'd stand with me.